0: Well, today we are going to continue in our New Year's uh, series that I've titled Reset. To do a reset means to set, adjust, or fix in a new or different way. And as I've said throughout this series, the uh, New Year seems to be a perfect time for us to make necessary changes and adjustments or fixes to our lives. And I think we, I believe we've all come to understand that any kind of a, a lasting reset must start on the inside by the renewing of our mind. As our scripture reference in Romans twelve two says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, today we're gonna to address an area where I uh, believe that our minds must be renewed. And it is, it is in our understanding of the last days. I believe that we are living in the last days and there are many reasons for that belief, but the main one being the fulfillment of biblical prophecy because I'm not aware of any additional prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before the blessed hope, before the rapture of the church takes place. The rapture is that great event that precedes the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when he takes his church when he snatches us up from this earth. So the needed reset that I'm talking about today is to first identify and recognize the signs of the last days as spelled out in the scriptures. Because when we do that, it becomes very clear that we are in fact living in the last days. And so that we will understand the seriousness of this reality. But secondly, and equally as important, and really the main uh, emphasis of my message today is for us to know how to live in the last days. How should we respond? How should we operate while living in this most significant era of human history? The Bible has a great deal to say about the end times. It starts in Genesis and it goes all the way through the book of Revelation. But this morning I wanna start by looking at 2 Timothy chapter three and four. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there, 2 Timothy, and uh, these are books that represent the final words of the Apostle Paul. Paul has already written to the many New Testament churches, but now he writes what is called a pastoral epistle to none other than Timothy. And Paul's final words of advice run from 2 Timothy chapter three, verse one, all the way through chapter four, verse five. And within that, there are, there are three words or commands that I wanna focus on today. In 2 Timothy 3.1, he writes, but know this. In 2 Timothy 3.14, he writes, but you must continue. In 2 Timothy 4.2, he writes, preach, preach the word. There is something that we must know, there is something that we must continue in, and there is something that we must preach. And I will break down these three commands in my message this morning. So please, as I said, turn to 2 Timothy 3.1. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry about that. It's gonna be up on the screens to each of my sides here and you can follow along with us. Today, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, where we are going to first see that Paul tells us there's something we must know. 2 Timothy 3, one through nine begins with this, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. The Greek word used here is also used to describe the two demon-possessed men in Matthew chapter 8, verses 28, where it is translated as fierce. So in other words, fierce times will come. Verse two, for men will be lovers of themselves. They're selfish. They're thinking only about themselves. Lovers of money. Their biggest desire will be the acquisition of wealth. Boasters, proud. They're narcissistic. They wanna be known. Blasphemers, they will mock God and they will speak of him in irreverent ways. Another translation uses the word abusive meaning there will be a loss of civility. Disobedient to parents, there will be a breakdown of the respect for authority. Unthankful, people will enjoy the blessings of God without thanking God for the blessings they have received. Unholy, evil will be paraded as good and moral. Unloving, verse three, there will be a lack of affection and acts of basic kindness towards one another. Unforgiving, people will be bitter. Slanderers: people will traffic in lies. Without self-control, they will be prone to addictive behavior. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. It will be completely void of compassion or commitment. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Society will be brainwashed into thinking that there is no God, there is no soul, there is no ultimate meaning to life. So the only thing left is to live for self-pleasure, to live for diversion. Verse five, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. That's a strong word from Paul to Timothy. He says, you need to avoid people who are fake Christians. Why? Because they're dangerous people. And verses six through seven reveals why they're dangerous. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They worm their way into homes, they worm their way into relationships by targeting those who who feel guilty and weighed down by their sins, and they take advantage of them. They're always learning, but they're, they're never able to draw a conclusion, and they never stand upon what the scriptures say. Their knowledge does them absolutely no good because they never do, they never act upon what they learn. And yet, despite all of that, they will still consider themselves spiritual according to their own definition. Down to verse eight and nine, Paul provides an an Old Testament example of what they're like. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these who resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. Paul says they will not go far because their recklessness will become plain to everyone. It will become very plain to everyone else because what happens is is time always reveals who is false. You can only be fake for so long. And then in verses 10 and 11, Paul continues with some encouragement. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, Love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived." Paul is telling Timothy, don't be shaken by all of this. He says, you've seen what I have gone through. You've seen the suffering. Understand, Timothy, everybody who who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted, but also know that in the last days, persecution is going to come at you from others who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. It's even going to come through people that you thought you could trust but don't let that shake your faith. Does any of that sound familiar to you? This describes the world that we are living in today, ladies and gentlemen, and this is the culture that you and I are called to reach. So Paul wrote in great detail what people would be like in the last days, and all of this would be assigned to us that we are in fact living in the last days. But now I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24, because here's where Jesus talks or tells us about the rapture, the blessed hope, when Jesus takes all born-again Christians home with him. Once it becomes clear that we are living in the last days, it's important for us to know what is next, and most importantly, to be prepared for what's coming next. Matthew 24, beginning with verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. So if you ever hear somebody, and we've heard this over the centuries, or actually shouldn't say centuries, over the decades, over my lifetime, if you ever hear someone claiming that they know when Jesus is returning, you can dismiss them. Because Jesus makes very clear that no one knows. Down to verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus says no one will be paying attention. Even with all the warning signs that are going on around them and what is written in the scriptures, people will just keep on living as though nothing is going to happen. But by the time they recognize what is going on, it's gonna be too late. In verse 40 through 41, Jesus gives us a glimpse of what the rapture will look like. Then two men will be in the field one will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So one minute, a Christian will be present, and then in the blink of an eye, they'll be gone. And I want you to think about the ramifications of that moment. Think of the commercial airplanes that are being flown by Christian men and women they will crash, so will our cars. Think about the heavy equipment operators that are Christians that will be gone at that moment. Think of the surgeries that Christian doctors will be performing. In an instant, we will all vanish, as will all born-again believers in Jesus Christ. And for those who are left behind, it will be an excruciating moment because at that moment they will realize that they have lost, they missed their opportunity for salvation, to know that they have been left behind. They will be just like people in the days of Noah, paying absolutely no attention, and there will be heavy grieving over their eternal oversight. Verses 43 and 44, but know this, That if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In this passage, Jesus represents this moment like a thief coming in the night. And furthermore, he is making very clear that we must be ready, because the time is coming when he will take us home, all those who have received salvation and committed their lives to him. And if you're not one who has received salvation, you had better make sure that you accept this free gift that Jesus offers, or you will be grieving with the rest who have been left behind. Now, as I mentioned in week one of this series, We have actually been living in the last days since the day that Jesus ascended to heaven. In fact, the the early New Testament church lived with an eager expectation that Jesus could return at any moment. As an example, the apostle Paul mentions baptism in in his epistles 14 different times, while at the same time, he talks about the return of Jesus 50 times. So as I said, the early church lived with an eager expectation that Jesus could come for them at any moment. But our human nature is such that when, if we get impatient and when things don't happen, when we think they should, it's very easy for us to lose our focus. And for many, we're no longer paying attention to the signs of the times that we're living in, except... Throughout history, whenever things have gotten scary, or whenever things have gotten crazy, or when there's been great uncertainty going on in our world, people once again be able to be begin to think more than ever that Jesus might be coming. Like during World War II, when people thought that Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist or more recently, even during 9-11, and now with all the, the hints of nuclear weaponry being tossed around by Vladimir Putin and, and his camp. Whenever craziness increases in our world, whenever weirdness begins to accelerate, we start to believe more than ever the rapture of the church is imminent. But as I said, when these events come and go, and nothing happens, it becomes very easy to start living with a mindset of, oh, well, life goes on, and it does go on. And Sadly, these delays of what we are greatly looking forward to can lead many people to think that Jesus isn't coming back for us at all. Second Peter 3, verses 3 and 4 tells us as much. It says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where where is this promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But church, we cannot allow what appears to be a delay to dull our eager expectation that Jesus could return for us at any moment. That must always be in the forefront of our minds. On the other end of the spectrum, however, watching and waiting for Jesus does not mean checking out on life. And this is where many Christians need a great reset of their mind, of their thinking. Because I've heard a lot of people say things like, I'm not going to go to college because Jesus is coming. Or or I'm not going to start that business after all because I believe Jesus is coming. Some Christians have allowed the knowledge that we're living in the last days to almost paralyze their lives. And they're just biding their time until when Jesus comes. But even worse than that is a disengagement from ministry and especially from involvement in the Great Commission. You remember that? Go out and make disciples of all men. I'm talking about Christians who who almost lean towards isolation, no longer sharing their faith or talking to other people about Jesus or inviting them to church or leading them to Christ. Instead, they're they're saving their money and they're stockpiling food and they're disengaging from real living. And This is all driven by an inner fear, uncertain of what it's all going to look like. But I'm here to stress to you this morning that this knowledge that we are living in the last days should affect us in just the opposite way. First of all, it should bring us a great sense of joy, knowing that we could be the generation who experiences the rapture. Imagine going up in the clouds. Imagine that. Whoa, what just happened? And you're in God's presence in a second, in a millisecond. Imagine what that experience is like. And we should be ecstatic that, that Jesus is making good on his promises. But it should also lead us into a, into a more careful and godly focused life. Because when we actively watch for Jesus' return, I believe it has a sort of a purifying effect on your and my soul. In fact, First John 3.3 3 talks about this anticipation that we carry when it says this, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. How might you live differently if you knew Jesus was returning tomorrow? How might it affect your actions, your thoughts, your priorities? Things that seem so important now would suddenly be trivial. And things that don't seem important today would suddenly have an urgency about them. Jesus is saying to us, live like that. Live as if I could return at any moment. In other words, he's telling us to be ready, to be prepared. Being ready means doing what God gave you to do and doing it faithfully. Whatever God has made you, husband, wife, mother, father, or friend, whatever God has given you to do in this life, whether you are securely established in your your lifelong profession, or whether you are working your way there, do it faithfully as unto the Lord. Represent him well in the workplace and among your peers, stay busy. I pray that Jesus will find us diligently and faithfully doing what he has given us to do with the best of our ability. Be the best husband and wife, father, mother, uh, co-worker, friend, neighbor, ministry worker, manager, or church member that you can be and be faithful at it. When Jesus returns, let him find you faithfully doing what he has given you to do. So I want to go back where we started in 2 Timothy chapter three. I know I got you moving all over your Bibles this morning, but it's okay if you don't don't get there, it'll be up on the screen. Because my address, because what we're gonna read addresses my concern that many of us are so focused on Jesus' return that we've lost sight of what we are to do today in the here and now and fulfilling the mission that God has given us to fulfill. And these three commands that I mentioned earlier from the Apostle Paul, they are a great template for how we should live in the last days. And as I said, it begins in 2 Timothy 3.1, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. This scripture begins with a command to know to be aware that something is going to happen. In the last days, times will be difficult. They will be perilous, they will be hard. This has been Paul's message to Timothy all along. He is encouraging Timothy to join him in his suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And the suffering that Paul is talking about is the difficulty of living in the midst of ungodly people. He describes the last days culture where people are living against God as well as being against anyone who loves God. He's talking about people attacking the church, attacking the truth, and opposing the things, the principles that we value and that we love. And speaking of the truth, I have never seen untruth to the level that it is today. We have gone so wrong that our culture believes it's okay to kill babies or that there is no distinction between a man or a woman, a male or a female. There's even a denial of one's own birth gender. It is truly unbelievable how deceived the human heart has become. And by me just saying that, I'm considered crazy. Probably get letters for saying that. Don't waste your time because I'm not going to read it. You ever heard of file 13? I have files, by the way. I have a feel-good file. When you write me nice things, I save those. And when I have a down day, I read it. That other stuff that most people send and won't sign their name to, it goes right in the trash, just to let you know that. Sorry, I got a little sidetracked there. (laughs) In our world today, what was once considered good is now considered evil. And that which we know to be evil is now being touted as good. But God has a warning for those who do this in Isaiah chapter five, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So church, we need, we must continue to be able to discern the truth in these days in which we're living. And let me start with the most crucial way for you to discern the truth. If something runs contrary to the written word of God, It's not truth. You can massage it, you can bend it, you can do whatever you wanna do, but it's not truth. We must be able to discern good from evil and not be swayed by by popular opinion or cultural lies that that has now become accepted as the truth when we know it's a lie. And equally important, we must be able to speak the truth even when it can be unpopular to do so. We must stand firm in who we are in Christ Jesus and know the truth because as the word says, the truth will always set you free. So the result of living in the last days will be difficult times for those who desire to live godly lives. Why? Because you're gonna be challenged on your beliefs and failure to be aware of this will leave you vulnerable to despair, disillusionment, and even defeated. But having your eyes wide open for what is to come or what has already come will actually fortify you. It will make you stronger and it will keep you safe. Jesus said in John 16:1, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. Other translations say, so you will not fall away. So you will not abandon your faith. So the way we avoid stumbling, the way we avoid falling away, the way we avoid abandoning our faith is to stay engaged in the written Word of God. And that leads me to Paul's second warning in 2 Timothy chapter three. This is the stage in the Apostle Paul's instructions where he's saying, we may not be able to change our nation like we want. We may not be able to push our convictions onto our society. We we may not be able to, to force the world to accept our morality, but he starts with these words, but you must continue. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus." And then following in verses 16 and 17 is probably the premier passage of all regarding the inspiration, the authority, and the infallibility of the written word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, the only way to be thoroughly equipped to minister in this chaotic culture and generation in which we live is to continue to keep on reading and absorbing the written word of God. The word continue that Paul uses here is a Greek word that means to live. It means to dwell, to move into a place and call it your home. It's the same word that Jesus used in John 15, seven, when he said, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. What does it mean to continue in, to dwell in, to abide in the scripture? Well, first of all, we must eagerly devour it. During my years as a Christian, I have been taught and I have been urged on an ongoing basis to make a daily habit of spending some time in God's word. Now, I have to admit that for me, it's probably an easier proposition than it is for some of you because my calling requires it. But whether I am in the Word for sermon preparation or for my own personal growth, I have to tell you that I find great strength in reading the Word of God. I have been asked many times if I've ever burned out in my years in pastoral ministry, and my answer to that is no. I have, however, become exhausted. But the reason I have never uh, sensed a burnout was because I was taught that when the going gets tough, that's when I lean into God. And that's when I lean into his word. Amen. When the prophet Jeremiah was too weary to continue in ministry, he said this in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen: Your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. This is what the word of God does for you. Therefore, it's good for us to be reminded of Genesis 1.1 that says in the beginning, it was God who created the heavens and the earth and not some big bang theory. And when things go wrong during our day, it's helpful to to, to recall Joseph's words in Genesis 50.19. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And as we, we work we should allow the 10 commandments in Exodus chapter 20 to govern our behavior and how useful for us to treat everyone in the spirit of Leviticus chapter 19, verses 18, where it says, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When we face trials, we need Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two: cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be shaken. Proverbs is always very fitting for us to read when we're seeking clarity on on integrity and cheerfulness and and dependability. We need the book of Isaiah to to keep us strong, and we need Jeremiah to keep us tender. We need Ezekiel to keep us looking ahead to the future. We need Daniel to remind us that, that, that God rules over all human affairs and as our day starts to fade away, and we realize that the work we were supposed to accomplish is only half done, it's important to remember the words in John 14:1. let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And when we click off our nightstand light, we need to be reminded of the book of Revelation and the vivid descriptions of the future and of heaven. And if we awaken during the night, as I often do, dwelling, and maybe even times grieving over the condition of our world, we can recall the final promise found in, in Revelation twenty two twenty. He who testifies to these things says, Surely, I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, Lord, even come, Lord Jesus. Listen, you can't read the whole Bible in a day, but you can read a portion of the Bible every day. You can't read the whole book, but you can read a chapter. If you can't read a chapter, you can at least read a verse. And my friend, if you can't read a verse, then you really have to rearrange your schedule. You're like a candle burning at both ends and you're gonna fade out. God desires us to take some time and to be still before him to memorize and to meditate The scriptures. Secondly, what does it mean to continue in, to dwell in, to abide in the scripture? We must rightly divide it. Paul makes this clear in 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Sadly, there is a trend occurring in our modern day evangelical church where large numbers of pastors are delivering sermons that I would call... Anybody ever seen a TED Talk? Yeah, Yeah, they kind of remind me of spiritual TED Talks. They are kind of brief, topical little sermons or talks and mostly used to get across their own ideas. Often they are based on little bitty fragments that come from the Word of God and held together by clever statements that they have come up with on their own. But God did not compose... 31,000 separate Bible verses and throw them out the windows of heaven like a ticker tape parade. He crafted them into 66 sequential, coherent, convincing, intelligent, rational books in which every verse has a context. One paragraph follows another in a rational way. So we must exegete. That's a term that we use for expounding and interpreting these books and these paragraphs and these sentences correctly, so as to handle the the word carefully, so as to rightly divide the word of God, as the scripture says. Psalm 119, 130 says, the entrance of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. I consider myself a simple man, and I appreciate that scripture. People come to Christ, And furthermore, people mature in Christ through the consistent unfolding of the books of the Bible in their life. And likewise, through the consistent unfolding of the scriptures, we learn to be ready and to live successfully in these last days. So as I've been saying every single week throughout this series, we must stay in God's word. Doing so makes the word of God become what the scriptures say it is, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Listen, our path can get really murky sometimes. You know that, and that's why you need the word of God. And finally, we, we get to the Apostle Paul's last command in 2 Timothy 4, one through five. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. And this really describes today. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. These are teachers who think like they think, believe like they believe. Don't hold them accountable to what the written word of God says. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. I want you to remember that the Apostle Paul is writing this from prison. But someone is there with him in that prison. Someone is standing beside him as he writes these words. Who is it? Look down to verses 16 and 17. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. That is a verse that every pastor needs to highlight in his Bible. And that is a verse that every one of us needs to wrap ourselves in every single day. The Lord is standing at our side and he is giving us strength so that his message might be fully proclaimed to those who really and desperately need to hear it. When Paul opens chapter four saying, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. It meant that he was so aware of, of the Lord's presence around him when he wrote these words. And he was so aware of the judgment that was coming upon our world. And he was so aware of the impending return of Jesus coming to take us home that all he could do was to blurt out this urgent command, preach the word. And he also said to do it in season and out of season. You know what that means? That means in the unexpected times. That means when you don't want to. That means when uh, God brings a moment in front of you and you have a split second decision to decide, am I gonna engage this human being and tell them about the love of Christ or am I gonna have to say, you know, I'm running late to an appointment. That's what being ready in season and out of season means. When I read this, I can't help but think about those from my congregation who are involved in agriculture. Those of you who have orchards, and you have crops that, that, that you bring to the marketplace. I'm sure that when it comes time to harvest your crop, although it is an extremely busy time, it's gotta be an exciting time for you because you're seeing the results of your labor but during the rest of the time while you're planning and you're preparing and you're maintaining i'm sure that isn't a lot of fun i'm sure that that's just plain hard work but as a pastor i i can relate with with what you deal with year after year because sometimes ministry seems to be in season when there is all kinds of excitement and momentum and growth and it seems like things are, are really moving and shaking. But there are those other times when I don't see the produce that I would like to see. The, but the Bible says, preach the word, be ready in and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And as we do this, ladies and gentlemen, I believe God will honor our work and he will bless us with positive results for our work. The point I've really come to share with you this morning is to remind you that our work never ends. It should not end due to our belief that Jesus could come and take us home at any moment. And since we don't know when that moment is, you just can't stop your work. It's got to intensify. Because if you just go into watch and wait mode, what happens if the Lord tarries for another 10 years? You will have just blown up the most important decade of your life by simply watching and waiting. Because you quit doing the very things God called you to do. And that leads others to Jesus and to prepare them for the day when Jesus comes. Yes, we walk a fine line. Therefore, my encouragement to you is simple. Yes, live with great expectation. Of Jesus return. This is the great hope, but never cease in the mission that he has given you to do. Be urgent in caring about other people's spiritual condition and share the good news of Jesus with them. Two weeks ago, I suggested to you that the next 10 years will be the most important 10 years of your life. But I also added, you might remember, should the good Lord tarry for another 10 years. Look, I want to see Jesus come more than anybody. But since I don't know exactly when that is going to happen, I will look ahead at all that I can do in the next decade for Christ. I am going to approach the next 10 years as your pastor by continuing to do ministry that will reach this community for Jesus Christ and should he come this year or next year, then I know when I am taken home, I will be found faithful in doing what he called me to do. And I believe that that has to be our mindset, church. Whenever Jesus comes for us, let us be found faithful and concerned for those who are lost. Anthony, will you come up and help me close this down? I'd like everyone to stand to your feet if you would. I've never noticed that that really looks good up there, doesn't it? I'm never paying attention to that. As I thought and I prayed about how I might end this service, I couldn't help by first addressing the need for us as people to be ready. To be ready for that time that Jesus chooses to come and to snatch us out of this place. If you're here today and you are not in a redemptive relationship with Jesus, meaning you have not received salvation, I want to implore you this morning, the time I believe is short and you need to be ready. Salvation is a free gift. It costs you absolutely nothing. The Bible says in order to receive salvation, you must believe and confess. Here's what it says specifically in Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10. It says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. All you need to do to to be saved and to receive is to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, is to pray a simple, sincere prayer of belief and confession. Tell Jesus you believe he came and he died on the cross for your sin. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Invite him to have lordship over your life. And of course, You at that point turn away from your past way of living and you learn how Jesus would have you live today. And that's where we as a church can come in and help you. We have many opportunities for you to grow in your relationship with Christ, starting with our discipleship classes that meet before this service from nine till 945. We would be honored to help you grow in your Christian journey. And I've said this before, but it is the truth. You may have served the Lord for 25, 30 years. There's stuff you don't know, and there's things you need to learn. And I would advise you to take take advantage of all the ways we teach around here the Word of God so that you can be more knowledgeable of what the Word means. But at the moment of salvation, even though we wanna help you grow in your relationship, the scriptures say that you are cleansed of all unrighteousness and you become a new creation. What that means is you kind of become a, a blank canvas. All the past is gone. Now you have an opportunity to rewrite what it is you want your life to look like. And with the power of the Spirit of God within you, you can have a masterpiece. I just want you to be ready for Jesus' return. And for those of you here today who are already born again believers of Christ, Today's message for us is is exceedingly clear. We must keep on living. We must keep on serving the Lord with a great expectation, yes, of his return, but not to the point where we lose sight of our mission for today. That does not end until the day he comes and snatches us out of here to win others to the kingdom of God. We've got so much to accomplish yet in this community, High Point, and every one of us must do all we can to bring others into a relationship with Jesus. We all have a function in the Great Commission. Don't lose sight of that while you're watching and you're waiting for Jesus to come and get you. In fact, I encourage you to bolster your efforts. Do not be deterred in your prayers or your actions regarding salvation for others who you know are lost. I'll finish with the Apostle Paul's words in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. I wanna close this service in a word of prayer over you. But as always, this altar is open at any time. If any of you wanna come down and pray at this altar, I welcome you to do that now. But while I'm praying, if you need to receive salvation this morning, I want you to pray to God in your own words and in your own way. Believe me when I tell you that God will hear and he will understand your prayer because he's not really listening to your words, he's reading your heart. And if in your heart you are desperately wanting to seek Jesus, you call out his name, you will be saved. And if you're, already res- if you're already saved, I ask that you pray that God would keep you personally focused on the things that are important. Making sure that you're not the only one who is ready for that day when he comes to take us. And to pray that he will also strengthen you to work diligently in helping others as well. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the promises in your word. And I thank you for the greatest promise of all, for those who have given our hearts and lives to you to be taken home, to be in God's presence for all eternity. What an incredible promise. What an incredible reality that is. And yet, God, I realize we are living in the last days and that could happen at any time. Lord, I want my church family to be ready, have great anticipation for you coming, looking forward to it. But God, I also pray that they do not lose sight of the mission that you have given us. And Father, that mission is not just for David Blythe as the pastor of High Point Assembly, but it's a mission for his church, those who make up this church. We are the body. We all have a part to play in this. We all have friends and acquaintances and and work associates and relatives who do not know Jesus and who desperately need him. And Father, I know I talk about this a lot, but I just pray that you would continue to impress upon both my heart and the heart of every one of this church family, that it is our responsibility to share your goodness. Father, take away that fear that prevents us from opening our mouths. Take away that fear that envisions us just tripping over our words and not making any sense, but instead give us a vision that once we cross that line of faith and boldness, Lord, you speak through us. Things literally come out of our mouths in ways we didn't even know we could say them because your spirit is directing our words. And Father, let us have a a heart for those who are broken and those who are lost. Even those who have said horrible things about us because of our belief in you. We gotta have thick skin. You said to pray for our enemies and those who, just, who spitefully use us. That's a hard order for us to fill, God, but I know with your spirit, we can do all things. So Father, will you just impress upon all of us to be ready and to speak up. To take that truth which you've laid into our hearts and that we wouldn't be afraid or ashamed to speak it out when those moments call for it. When it is clear that you have opened a door for us, you've given us an opportunity. Father, let us boldly walk through those doors that you open and let us share your goodness with other people with love in our heart. Father, I thank you for this service. Thank you for your presence. I thank you for our worship. Thank you for our children being with us. I ask your blessings upon them. Be with all the moms and dads here today. Because our heart for you has to begin with our own children. Loving them and showing them what it's like to love the Lord. Use us in that area too. God, as we go our separate ways today, let your Holy Spirit guide and direct our steps places we go the things we do and the conversations that we have let them be conversations that build up and not tear down and father let the love of jesus shine through us in such a way that everyone would know that there is something different about us and that would grant us the ability to be able to share your goodness with someone else i pray that between now and the time we gather together again lord that you would keep us safe from any accidents that might befall us, any sicknesses or disease that might come upon us, until we gather together again and worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we leave today, Father, let us go in love as your word has commanded us to do. I ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here today.